I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. For this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Now, this is the passage I'm going to read now is what I'm reflecting on in my message, but I'm not going to exegete the text. I'm just going to reflect on it. I pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? Now the text goes on. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the, at the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Forgot to check. What am I supposed to say? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. David's been changing that up. This is the word of life, and, and I forgot to check what I'm supposed to be saying. Well, anyway, since I'm retiring this last month, I've had to clean out my office of 47 years in ministry and 25 years here. <laughs> That process of going through papers, books, worship resources, letters, cards, extraneous stuff has taken me down memory lane. It's kind of scary. It's like your life passes before your eyes that people say right before you die. <clears throat> I'm kind of nervous about that. <laughs> anyway, I came across this little booklet printed in 1976. My second year as uh, an appointed minister in the Oklahoma Conference, it was titled, Take My Life, 31 Reflections. Now, 31 pastors were asked to write a short account of our call to ministry. I was one of those 31. When I first came to Boston Avenue, I was not designated as a preaching associate, so I never got the opportunity to give an introductory sermon, This Is My Faith Journey, as Sarah got to do a few weeks ago, as you will remember. Well, it'd be anticlimactic for me to do the whole thing now. Uh, <laughs> but as I read through what I had written 41 years ago, I saw a couple of things which do relate to our scripture text and which demonstrate how God works in strange and mysterious ways his will to make known. 
The first relates to that call experience, and there's a little bit of it in the Word. At the beginning of my ninth grade year, an exemplary Christian woman who was in the United Methodist Women and as a state leader and was also elected a delegate to general conference. She volunteered to teach our ninth grade Sunday school class. Her name was Panthea Freeman and she asked us to read through in one sitting the fall quarterly of our student book in our United Methodist curriculum. It was titled The Call to Discipleship. And it was basically St. Paul's conversion story. She said it might take 30 minutes. Well, I have been, and I still am, kind of a slow reader. I try to soak it all in. But anyway, it took me an hour and a half. But I stuck with it. And my encounter with that account of St. Paul's faith journey stirred in me a strong to desire to be a truly committed Christian. Now, I had been baptized as a baby, been raised in the church, gone through confirmation, heard great preachers to whom I often tuned in and listened as a child while I was drawing pictures on the bulletin. But this encounter with St. Paul's story stirred in me this strong feeling of a personal ownership of my faith in a, a new and special way. However, I knew myself and I realized it would be very hard for me to keep up with the spiritual disciplines of Bible study and prayer like a real Christian ought to practice. But almost immediately as I was thinking that, and it sunk in, another thought popped into my head. If I were a minister, I would have to pray and read the Bible all the time. It would be my job. Well, of course, that was a very self-interested kind of thought, but it was the first thought of calling. And as I reflect on it today, I realize that was really a very astute realization for a ninth grader to recognize this basic principle for self-improvement and character development and of course spiritual development and that principle is this you need to put yourself into the right environment the right context that will support and reinforce the qualities that you want to develop. It won't happen by accident, for we all need the help and support of others and a structured environment. However, at the time, it was just a thought and it was just about me. I hadn't matured and grown in my understanding of discipleship yet. And like St. Paul, I had a lot of questions about these fantastic claims about Jesus so the beginning of my journey was really a, an early faith seeking understanding. And in a strange way, in a strange and mysterious way, God was working his will to be made known to me. As I went off to college, this sense of calling had developed past just a thought to a maybe, I wonder if. But I had no other big sign 
no strong certainty yet. Actually, all through my ministry, I never got that strong sense of certainty. I realized at any time you might be called out of ministry. Anyway, for whatever reason, something was moving me to desire for my life to make a difference for the good in our world. And as I went off to college, I needed to pick a major and look toward a career. And I saw three possibilities, three options. First, since I had risen in, uh, and succeeded in leadership positions in school and the youth group, I thought possibly politics, public service. And even way back then, there was this ever-present news of scandals and corruption at different levels of government. And I thought, you know, I might have to sell my soul along the way in order that I might reach to a high enough position to actually be able to accomplish any real changes for the good. But I'd already learned that the end does not justify the means. And being an idealistic youth, I certainly did not want to compromise my integrity. So cross off that idea. Secondly, I thought maybe medicine, since I really did well in science and math. But um, in my pledge class of 18 young men in my fraternity at KU, four or five of my pledge brothers were pre-med majors. And they were very bright and very capable. So I thought, there will be no shortage of good doctors. Cross off number two. <clears throat> the third option I saw was ministry, going back to that earlier thought in the ninth grade. None of my fraternity brothers and no one I knew in high school, and I graduated with a class of 500, I didn't know of anybody who was going into the ministry. So maybe there is a need that I could fill. As I wrote in that booklet in 1976, and I quote my younger self, I had the confidence or the gall to think my life could make a difference. And continuing the quote, I believe then, meaning in college, and I believe now, meaning 1976, that if the institutional church becomes the authentic church God intends her to be, then the structures of society will be transformed. It's interesting that those words and concepts that I was expressing then are now found as our denominational statement of purpose to make disciples for the transformation of the world. Well, I believe that the local congregation is where it must happen. So I decided to answer the call and serve as a pastor in the local church, and that was my tentative decision. But there was still no big, powerful sign. Not until this last Friday evening the wonderful affirmation from this congregation. I guess I was called. Anyway, back to the story. So that began as a self-centered, what began a self-centered motive, matured into a self-giving call to service to the greater good. 
and there were so many growth and learning experiences if you call me back sometime I can tell you about those neat stories but anyway that I received in college at at Lawrence that helped crystallize this calling and God was still working in strange and mysterious ways his will to make known to me now going through all my stuff this last month I was reminded of another experience which has shaped my ministry in a very powerful way it was the beginning of an internship after two years in seminary I went from Manhattan Island in New York City all the way out to Fairfield and Power Montana a two-point charge that formed a triangle with Great Falls about 40 miles away Fairfield was a town of about 600 I think in the apartment building I lived in in New York City had more than 600 people in it and the worship was about 150 to 200 and power was a tiny little place with only a dozen in 17 uh, miles away well it was a nine-month internship from September to May while the regular minister was taking a sabbatical to go work on a doctor of ministry program so I planned to get there a week early to get settled in before launching into my pastoral duties I had only been in the parsonage less than an hour when people accuse me of pounding on tables I, it's just an illustration anyway a knock at the door so I go to the door and it's the funeral director in town ask if I could do a funeral tomorrow for an 85 year old woman a dear member of the congregation I said something like well sure that's why I'm here so I quickly changed clothes and visited the family to gather details of the story of her life and her faith now today that would be no big deal because as David told you I've conducted maybe two three thousand funerals in my 47 years of ministry but that day I had never conducted a funeral I had never taken a course on pastoral care yet or how to do funerals worse yet I'd only been to two <laughs> and I was really young so anyway when I got back from visiting the family I wandered into the pastor's office for the first time to figure out what in the world am I going to do and while I was wondering that my eye caught a little black book lying on top of a file cabinet and I picked it up and I read the title the pastor's ideal funeral manual <laughs> it looked just like this I got my own later and you see it's kind of worn well almost immediately I started going through the book and looking at the suggestions for orders of worship and and a long list of suggested scripture passages but then I got prepared and and had the message ready now in that little town of 600 since everyone knows everyone else 
everything stops and half the town comes to funerals. But for this service, there was an additional big curiosity about this new intern preacher. Was he going to be any good? Well, evidently, I passed the test. It was a great introduction to the community, and I was well-received and enjoyed a great nine months with the church people there. Interestingly, though, this challenging event to figure out how to do a funeral created in me the method and style that I have used throughout my ministry. But even more interesting that after 22 years in ministry in Oklahoma, I was appointed to a specialized ministry of pastoral care in 1992, where I would be performing so many funerals, averaging about two a week, using that same method and style that came out of the crucible of that first funeral with no help or guidance from anyone except a little black book in God's strange and mysterious ways to make his will known. Well, one final part of my personal journey in faith has been marked from my earliest years growing up in Norman McFarland Methodist Church under the preaching of Finest Crutchfield and Phil Deschner, Dr. Poe Williams, and later Bill Oden when uh, he was at St. Stephen's. Two of those became bishops, but all four in their own way each had a preaching style that combined faith and reason, partly because Norman is a college town with lots of university professors attending, but rather than a preaching style that tells you what you must believe in order to be saved, their style was more like, come, let us reason together a more conversational style. Somehow, under that influence, my faith journey was always a search to make better and more sense out of the Bible and our doctrines of faith. My faith was that there must be something to this Christianity. So fundamentally, it was a belief that God is. But there were still and still are many conflicting explanations of who God or Jesus, or the Holy Spirit are, and how they operate in the material world we live in. So I was happy to find a little book by J.B. Phillips, the author of one of our modern translations of the Bible, who wrote in this little book, published in 1996, which spoke to me. The title was simply, Your God is Too Small. Philip's thesis was basically in order for your faith to grow deeper and stronger and not die on the vine, then your concept and your understanding of God and God's will for your life and for the world must always be growing. If it's not growing, then your God is too small. A corollary of this principle is to always be willing to confess, I may be wrong. Even after thorough research and study and careful reasoning about a belief or a decision on what I must do, confessing I may be wrong keeps me open to what experience, new information, 
new insights or God's strange and mysterious ways he makes his will known might make me alter a belief or change that course of action. J.B. Phillips was following the approach of St. Augustine and St. Anselm who described for me what I had been doing all along and they're the ones that coined this phrase, faith seeking understanding. Karl Barth, a conservative-leaning theologian of the last century, put it this way, what distinguishes theology from blind assent is just its special character as faith seeking understanding. But I think this is vitally important because if we're afraid to question and doubt, then our faith cannot grow. If we're afraid to question and doubt whether our understanding of God and God's will is absolutely correct or perfectly on target, then we cannot learn and we can't move our understanding closer to the truth or develop a bigger picture than we were able to conceive of before. Discipleship means following where we believe Jesus would have us go to make a difference for the good in the world and in the lives of others. Even the least of these, the most vulnerable and marginalized. It's not the easy way of least resistance. It's often the difficult way of most resistance. So one of my favorite hymns says it this way, by the light of burning martyrs, Christ, thy bleeding feet we track toiling up new calvaries ever with a cross that turns not back. New occasions teach new duties. Time makes ancient good uncouth. They must upward still and onward. Who would keep abreast of truth? Though the cause of evil prosper, yet tis truth alone is strong. Though her portion be the scaffold, and upon the throne be wrong, yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. Well, when we step out into the future, into an unknown, trying to do what is right and what is the good thing in order to make a positive difference in the life of the world and others and to make our world become more like the kingdom of God that Jesus said was coming that's when we can have those experiences that God is with us we are not alone and those experiences give us the assurance by which we hope and trust that when we leave this body and this earthly life, then we will be with God in that realm we call heaven. That's what we affirm for the saints who have gone before us, those whose lives we just recalled today in our Memorial Sunday. We felt and experienced God's love and grace flowing through them, as David said a moment ago. Now, in my continuing journey in faith, my faith seeking understanding, I trust that new occasions will teach new duties as I enter into this unknown future called retirement. So I ask, 
for you to pray for me because I will continue to need that support and encouragement of the community of faith, the body of Christ.